Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, sponsored by First National. I am Adam Pawatic, sitting here with Aaron Cameron, and our guest today is Wendy Waters. She is the Senior Director of Research Services and Strategy of GWL Realty Advisors. If anybody's interested in her background, this is actually part two. It is our second episode recording with Wendy. She's a knowledgeable person in numerous topics. We had her in again. Uh, We have a link in our show notes to the first episode. It was on the topic of apartments, primarily in Toronto and Vancouver, but we did discuss uh, a variety of other markets as well. So welcome back to the show, Wendy. Thank you very much. So we're going to talk about um, the Alberta market in this episode. Where do you want to start, Wendy? Do you want to be able to start with apartments? And that flows from our last episode we just recorded. What are you seeing in the Calgary market, or maybe Calgary and Edmonton markets, uh, with regards to rent growth uh, and occupancy levels, vacancy levels? Well, what we've seen in, in both these markets is a flight to quality that, you know, with vacancy rates went up, it gave a lot of people an opportunity to move into the newer generation. And it really showed that, in fact, there is a pent-up demand for new purpose-built rental. That as soon as uh, you know the, the rents did have to come down a little bit, the landlords did. Face rates, you know, most landlords tried to keep face rates up, but there were a lot of incentives that were offered. And these, those have been gradually removed from the market. So it's doing uh, fairly well from what my, my operations colleagues say and from what I've been reading and understanding. Where, you know, one really bright light is uh, the Calgary Beltline, which is this higher density area just immediately to the south of downtown. So it's walking distance into downtown. That area, if you look at the new generation and the latest CMHC stats, new generation uh, purpose-built down to 2.6% vacancy. Wow. So that's... Well, that's new generation is defined as... Built post-2000. Okay. But there's been actually a fair amount of new product released into the Beltline market, so which is exciting times in the Beltline. It's really adding a, a layer of dynamism to that, that it's neighborhood. It's a trendy neighborhood. Which already was a trendy neighborhood, exactly. But now you've just got that many more people supporting the restaurants and retail. So it's an exciting place. With GWL Realty Advisors, we just bought a, a site that we can redevelop as rental in that, in, in in that market. Line? In the Beltline. Okay. So, you know, with everything going on in Alberta, you know, we still believe in this market, particularly including in that that asset class. Edmonton, similarly, there's been some new generation product in, in the core areas and off 104th and Jasper Avenue, and it's been doing well. So I think that it's been interesting to see in a market where people have some choices, where, where are they choosing? The demand, is it coming predominantly from the younger generation? Like, do you have a sense of what demographic is making up the majority of that demand? Definitely some younger renters, particularly up in Edmonton. A lot of the the apartments are relatively near the universities and colleges. And then the University of Alberta has been spinning off some interesting tech companies, as well as helping support some global companies putting in research labs in Edmonton. So I think we've had younger university graduates uh, interested in those markets. But there's a bit of everybody, you know, people who are wanting newer generation and and, um, wanting uh, maybe that more hassle-free lifestyle not given some of the uncertainty in the, in those markets, there may be people that aren't sure if they're staying long term, so they could be slightly older, but not sure if they're staying and, and and renting. Do you get a sense of the the number of units in the universe in each of those each of those centers? Uh, are, are there are there units that are being dropped off as your as these new units are being built, or are we actually adding adding units to the product? Uh, Calgary definitely adding units. I think in Edmonton there may be some old. There's a lot of older product. Edmonton's been more of a rental market than Calgary historically, so you can sort of use maybe the Montreal analogy. A bit more of a culture of renting there, and there's a lot of older. You can say like older, kind of like three story or even you know 
rental yeah. townhouses, that walk type up, of thing. Lots of walk Exactly. Up. So some of that's being, re- I think, is being redeveloped. Some of that's going to probably come off the market, I would suspect. But, you know, overall, though, we're just seeing continued increased demand for that purpose-built rental for, product. For the newer product. At, yeah. least, at, at least in the core areas. I'm, I'm more speaking with Edmonton right now. I'm speaking about the core. There's, there's a lot of suburban rental, and I'm not quite as up to speed on what's happening in that market right now. So as you mentioned, uh, a flight to quality, which would also imply there's a, I guess, a flight away from low quality. So how badly are those buildings being punished in this market? It's not too bad. And I don't have the latest vacancy right in front of me, but certainly some buildings are, are going to be really struggling and other ones, you know, certainly above a six or six or 7% range. I don't think CMAC's market data came out and it had gone down by 0.1%. So basically flat. Now that includes the new stuff and the old stuff, but I guess that would indicate that it's not catastrophic. No, and there's been new product coming into the market. There's new condos that have obviously a rental component, not as strong of a, a rental condo market in uh, you know in Edmonton and Calgary as there is in Toronto and Vancouver, but it's still there. Right. Um, and it's still uh, adding additional supply. I guess we should frame all of this conversation around what transpired with the oil market and what your research has suggested and where we are in the in the cycle. And if you think that we've bottomed out and are we on the way back up or you know where do we sit? Well, I think there's multiple cycles going on sure. in Alberta, in Calgary, in Edmonton. I mean, if we start with just the economy, I think we're past the lowest point. It's definitely in the recovery. We've seen all the last couple of months, job growth has been a little bit off in Calgary and Edmonton. But prior to that, we had a very good year, particularly for Calgary in 2017. It was the second fastest growing metro in North America in terms of job growth, about 3.3%. First was Montreal, interestingly enough. Mm. Um, so outpacing some of the U.S. cities that had been on some strong growth levels. So the job growth is happening. Now, it's not necessarily happening in energy jobs, and it's not necessarily happening, and it's really not happening in jobs that tend to happen in downtown Calgary office. So there's a market cycle happening on downtown Calgary office, which is different. And that one, there may be more pain to come in the downtown Calgary office market as opposed to the rest of the economy, which is then driving the other asset classes. Do you know what the vacancy rates are right now for the downtown Calgary office? I believe, depends, every brokerage has their own number. Yeah. I th- what we are using is uh, about 27.4%. So we actually spoke about the vacancy rate there in a number of episodes. Just in brief, when we kind of tracked it, when it got into the mid-teens and up into the 20s, it just occurred to me we haven't spoken about it in a while. So I'm actually surprised to hear that number. That uh, That is quite high, 27s. I, and I think the market took a while to really get their heads wrapped around what was truly vacant, what was subleased, what wasn't subleased. I mean, there was a lot of leasing that was going on or subleasing going on for basically zero NER, right? It was just pay to keep the lights on. You can you can tenant that area. But I don't know. And do you have any comments on that? Yeah. Well, the, the other side of it, that Calgary's office market has operated a little bit differently than other markets in the country. Partly is that the, some of the tenants are just so large and in good times, because most of them were, a lot of them were energy or energy-related tenants, in good times, they would be anticipating really rapid growth. So they would lease or commit to perhaps a new building or some other space. So they might commit to a lot more space than they currently would need. And then the, the plan would be just to grow into it. But then when the market turns, all that space that they still hadn't grown into then suddenly shows up on the sublease market. So it looks like negative absorption, but there were never bums in those seats. Yeah. They, were, they were firing people out the door. No, they, they, they might have been doing that too. But what you can get in Calgary is these, these very large swings of, I mean, the brokerages are also trying to do this now is figuring out what is not being leased, but someone's getting paid rent on it, but there's nobody there. 
So yeah. the ghost vacancy. It's, it's wait till the lights go on in the morning and count the floors with no lights on or something, right? Yeah. But so and one estimate that we've heard is that it could be another three percentage or more on top of that 27. So the actual vacancy could be closer to 30%. I was there during the real estate forum, uh, this sort of anecdotal, but I guess that was in October this year. No, that'd be Calgary? Year. Sorry. Yeah, the Calgary Real yeah. Estate Forum. And it was noticeably empty, you know, walking around at six o'clock on a Thursday night. And you could just feel that there's nobody down there. Yeah. And Calgary downtown has never really been as vibrant of a downtown as places like Vancouver and Toronto, where there's enough people living right there sure, that you can, go, you can go for a walk at 10 o'clock at night and there's lots of people on the street. That's never really been the case in Calgary, a little bit on Stephen Avenue maybe during the real estate forum because there's more people staying in the hotels. But otherwise, yeah, it's been, so it doesn't necessarily feel as different. Sure. I, I, but, I kind of been there for years going backwards and, and it certainly yeah. felt just like there was less energy. There was no energy. Like it yeah. was, it was really quite empty. But even I'm when finding, oil was at the top. Of even, the yeah, even when it was, yeah. I mean, I appreciate you're right. There's almost no condos in that neighborhood, but it still, there was some vibe going on as, you know, people just leaving work and whatever it was, like even that seemed yeah. like it was not, not as, there just wasn't that many people. Yeah. I mean, definitely my, my colleagues that are, you know, managing our office buildings are saying like the restaurants are really struggling because there isn't that vibe of going out after work. And sure. there was that, that energy that was there when the energy sector was, was vibrant and alive. But money to that, burn. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a, there was a bit more disposable income downtown, but now obviously you've got, you know, a lot of empty space in office buildings, which means fewer people on the street. And and I was there recently and, and went and walked all of our office buildings and uh, yeah, it was just very quiet and it was actually, you know, weather wise, it was a decent day mm-hmm. and, uh, and just, yeah, the streets just feel different. And that's going to be a challenge for the downtown and that where there's been some job growth has been in companies that have been choosing more of suburban locations or even urban, but not downtown locations. And so the downtown for Calgary, it's going to be a while to, you know, the economy is slowly diversifying in Calgary mm-hmm. and, and they're, you know, making some investments in at the university level of training people, obviously the tech sector is one area they're trying to go after and there's been some growth there. There's been some growth in more of the arts as well as in some, some other uh, business lines. But the downtown isn't necessarily built for them. It's built for oil companies. That's who it was built for. And so I think there's for a lot of landlords now, us included, are looking at how do we rethink our buildings and, and how we now make ourselves the right building for a different economy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the the energy sector is still going to be there. It's still going to be important, but it's not necessarily going to be the the growth driver as it always has been. So it's preparing for the next wave. So the story we keep hearing here is that tenants that have, are based in an industry other than oil and gas and are still doing well are using the opportunity presented to move into A-class office space that they otherwise would not have been able to afford and doing long-term leases. And this, of course, leaves the B and C class space at a higher vacancy rate. So do you know where the numbers lie for the vacancy rates for that kind of space? Yeah, in in a recent internal report, we were using some Q4 numbers, so they probably have changed a little bit. But uh, definitely over, probably the B and C is now in the 36% vacant range and moving further because that's exactly what's happening is uh, some of those tenants are finding a good opportunity to move into nicer space. And so I think it'll be an interesting to see what then happens with some of those older buildings if they get repurposed to maybe a different use or what happens down the road uh, with those. But yeah, that's there's still reasonable amount of demand for AAA and A, 
but obviously not at the rents that those buildings were built for. Right. Well, and, uh, I was, for context, when we do that, can you just list off what the uh, sort of average sort of A-class rental rates are for sort of Toronto, Vancouver versus Calgary and Edmonton? I mean, just, it doesn't have to be exact. Like I, I think I, notionally, I know Toronto's kind of in that 30, 30 to $40 per square foot range and going up. I've heard some 50s and 60s, depending on the, you know, the amenities and, and what kind of space they're taking over. Vancouver, I'm assuming, is in around the same range. And then in, in Calgary, we're talking, yeah, I think three bucks. Well, face rates are a little higher, and then there's the NERs and the landlord's work and everything else that maybe you know the NERs are lower because the TIs are coming yeah. in there as well. Tenant, tenant inducements tenant for in- anyone that's curious what that means. And yeah. for for NER, that's basically the the rent payable minus the inducements to be in there gives you net effect of rent. Yeah. It's, yeah, but certainly face yeah face rates may in some buildings maybe staying at closer to ten dollars, but that's not where the, the the you know at the end of the day the effective rate is a little lower. Right. The other thing is the tenants are a lot smaller. So one, you know, there's other challenges for landlords. And one is having more move-in ready space for smaller tenants because, you know, these company, right. any company, say, coming out of a B or C, what, what some of my colleagues are saying, they're, they're tending to wait until quite late in their, before their expiry and looking for turnkey as opposed to, you know, a more traditional office lease situation might be that someone's looking 18, 24 months out before their expiry and then asking the landlord to participate in, you know, obviously changing the space and customizing the space. Whereas now there's some of these tenants are really just looking for something that's nice and new and ready for them. Right. And for anybody wondering why landlords would do deals at $3 uh, net effect of rent is the carry cost in office is much higher than you'll find and other asset classes, so they need to get it off of their bank account and onto somebody else's. Yeah, so if, if just for those following along, that $3 net effective rent, that's 3 bucks to the landlord and the tenant pays for other utility costs that utility cost taxes, you know, common area maintenance, all of that other stuff is is also paid for by the tenant. So the landlord, even if the net effective rent is zero, at least then the landlord is not paying any carry costs to cover that space. Yeah. So, you know, it's not saying necessarily we're doing those deals, but yes, there's deals they like exist that in the marketplace. In the marketplace yeah. And that is why you do them is you want to fill up the space. Also, depending on if you have a retail component, you may be wanting to just have people in the building to help support your retailers as well. As, as compared to industrial, I think uh, keeping an industrial building dark is not as an expensive proposition as uh, the more complex ecosystem you'd find in a, in a downtown office. That's a good segue. So industrial. So industrial. So Calgary Industrial has been doing really well. Edmonton Industrial has, has had some interesting activity as well. And, you know, a little bit of ups and downs, but still solid. Calgary Industrial, what's really exciting about that is it's is a completely different sector from the energy sector. So Calgary's got a growing logistics sector, the hub for Western Canada. What's interesting is for a truck driver, it's 13 hours to Winnipeg and it's 13 hours to Vancouver. And that's how long you're allowed to drive with before you have to take a substantial break. So it's a good location. In the last few years, there's been some really big warehouse deals. I think we've got Walmart at 3 million square feet of, of space, um, Canadian Tire at a million square feet, uh, Lowe's and Rona has a million square feet, Amazon's done a deal for 600,000, but my understanding is they're going to put a mezzanine in, so effectively it's 1.2 million square feet of distribution space. So we've also got, we've got a Home Depot, it's partly uh, one of ours, and that's just another sector, which is which is great, obviously for driving economic growth and and some jobs, sure, and, uh, and and it's helping keep the economy going. But also just the the small bay and the the mid bay, some of the other um, supporting other types of businesses. And, and what on. rents are they paying for those for those types of spaces? Do you think? I don't have that in front of me. Yeah, um, but it's a, but it's around sort of that six, seven, eight dollars. Yeah. Sort of again, sort of the net effect of rents. 
That's yeah, yeah. That's where the the average rental rates are for industrial in Calgary, and yeah. I can't can't speak any specific deals. And that's obviously another opportunity for some of these companies. Is Edmonton's more expensive, and Vancouver's a lot more expensive. Whereas you can do uh, an industrial logistics facility in Calgary for you know two dollars, three dollars less a square foot or more. Yeah. So that's been I think a and, good opportunity. And Toronto, for that matter, right? It, which is curious. We, we don't have to get into that, but it is the industrial market doesn't necessarily make sense comparing across the country. Yeah, you're right. I've never quite understood why Toronto rents are so much lower than they have been in the West. But, you know, it's just, yeah, different markets operate on different fundamentals. And maybe, you know, Toronto's been able to spread out a little bit more. You know, one of the other interesting facts about the, the Calgary industrial market is how much it's serving a Vancouver market. Some of these products are actually getting off a ship in Vancouver, going by train to Calgary, getting sorted, and then going back on a truck to Vancouver. Uh, just because that's the way that the logistics works for some companies, particularly for goods that don't necessarily need to be there immediately. You know, it's also Whirlpool is another one that's got a big distribution center for the West in Calgary. Um, so that's interesting. But also then you start looking at the retail growth in the West. I mean, Vancouver's had phenomenal retail sales growth. So that's been, you know, fueling demand for industrial and logistics product in Vancouver, but also in Calgary as another option for, for companies. Well, can you imagine the task of, uh, you mentioned, uh, one group had 3 million square feet is maybe Walmart, Walmart. I believe. Yeah, yeah. Imagine trying to source 3 million square feet in Vancouver. You cannot do that. Yeah. Doesn't exist. And what about labor costs? Like, it, would that be a factor for these companies making that decision to ship them into Vancouver, haul it out to Calgary, put it back? Or do you think labor costs are around the same in Calgary and Edmonton? Um, not sure what the costs are. There's also the availability of labor. Mm. I do know that the vacancy rate for transportation workers in Vancouver is actually very high. The job vacancy rate, sorry, is very high. Mm. So there's not a lot of people available. I suspect given the downturn in Alberta, that there's people who were driving trucks for the energy sector could now drive a truck for somebody else. And you've probably got some more availability. Wage-wise, Alberta has a much higher average weekly wage than, say, the British Columbia or Vancouver. But I don't know for that specific for truck drivers where it sits, who's, who's the highest one. Now we've talked a fair bit about rents. Do you have a sense on pricing? I mean, for the longest time, uh, the story was that, you know, uh, Calgary office was largely institution owned so they can weather this storm. So you weren't seeing trades to reflect what people currently value their properties at. So do you have any data to give an idea of where, uh, both industrial and office would be in those markets? Well, I think there's I think there's still demand for industrial, although I'm not um, sure I have any trades in front of me. I think there's a lot of confidence in that asset class. There's been trades in retail. We've bought retail. I think believe there's been trades in apartments. Uh, for office, there actually have been a couple of trades. Um, you know, one was a you know building with a long term lease, so so that made sense. You know, but they haven't been like the those big trophy buildings have not traded. No, the really big buildings. There's been a couple trades I said along the along the edges of the market. So, you know, we, we track some of the appraised values with, with IPD on a per square foot basis. And, you know, seen from about, you know, 528 down to 417 is what it were IPD. What's um, IPD stand for? And IPD is the International Property Data Bank, and it's run by a company called MSCI. And they've been tracking uh, investment metrics. So uh, landlords like us, owners like us put we give them a whole bunch of data and they aggregate it so we can see what's happening in the market, how we're performing compared to the market. But what's great is you can also then get sort of a market average of where things are going. So, you know, for conversations like this, it's, it's helpful. In, in the industrial market, did you notice um, a downturn or, or an upturn in the cap rates, which is valuations maybe on a per square foot metric or whatever during the oil oil issues? And then now you maybe a trend back up to normal and, and maybe a post and pre comparison if they've actually come back and, and surpassed what the valuations were before 
uh, what happened in the oil market. Yeah, I don't have that information in okay. front of me. I mean, notionally, I mean, it doesn't have to be exact. If you have a sense of just kind of where the market is today and it's kind of healthy and robust compared yeah. to what it was before. No, generally, cap rates and the other asset classes have generally held. Yeah. Um, office obviously has, has had some upward swing, but the other asset classes have generally held. Obviously, they've the values may have come off because the rental rates being achieved, particularly maybe mm-hmm. in rental, are different, but the cap rate have held reasonably strong. And as mentioned, there's, there's still some strong demand for Alberta product other than downtown office in Calgary. Yeah, and I think I, we've seen you know, maybe cap rates haven't, haven't inflated much, but because the rents are down in the apartment market, you've seen valuations come down. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't noticed it in the industrial or retail space, though. I think retail, there was a bit some concern, but that wasn't necessarily related to the oil market, but just the general disruptors that are happening in in the the economy that are impacting retail. And just, you know, notionally, retail seems to be the weakest asset class right now in comparison to the other three major food groups. And I'm wondering what you've seen in the retail market, specifically to Calgary and Edmonton and, and its strengths and weaknesses right now. Well, the um, retail sales have been have, have rebounded in Alberta and, and Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, restaurant sales have, have also been up. So people are back spending money. Consumer confidence is, has come back. You know, that's obviously been good for the, the retail sector. This said, you know, there's certain retail that is probably more exposed to e-commerce and some of these other challenges. But, uh, you know, a lot of the food-oriented, food-anchored, you know, that's what we've purchased uh, and what we're more interested in mm-hmm. that uh, I think continues to do well. You know, it's curious. I guess that maybe there's a there's a sort of negative connotation towards the Alberta market still and that maybe that's receding. But even with the office space issues and you know, the prolonged issues that are, that are going to exist within the downtown core of Calgary. But from the sounds of it, the, the market itself is actually doing quite well. The economy is, you know, strong-ish or growing. Yeah, I don't right? know. It, strong might be... Yeah, t- strong-ish, I said. Strong-ish, yeah. <laughs> I think I would say that, you know, well, the job growth was very strong, but it still, you know, it still feels like a, a city in recovery mode. Right. For, and But I think it might be, it's more, it's, it's a place in transition. Right. From being more of an energy, really based around energy, to having some other sectors. And that's going to take time. But I really do believe Calgary, you know, this is me speaking maybe personally, but I believe Calgary is going to weather through this rebound. It's a, it's a fun city to visit. It's a fun city to, to live in. It's got housing affordability that some other Canadian cities really lack. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I really see that it will come back and it may take time. And then Edmonton, what are you seeing? What kind of sort of real estate trends are you seeing there with respect to whether it's office or industrial or retail? Anything of note in that, in that marketplace? Well, certainly, I think we've been pleasantly surprised by some of the recent absorption in the office market there. That okay. There's been some new product added, which I think in many ways the market needed. A lot of the office buildings were fairly old, and there's been some new products, so there's a fair amount of vacancy. But there's been, um, yeah, some spinoffs from the University of Alberta in terms of uh, tech, sort of artificial intelligence, some healthcare sector. There's been other companies coming in, I believe Google and an artificial intelligence. Uh, there's been operation. a focus, I think, from the city council to intensify the downtown core. I, I think I've, I've noticed quite a bit of residential development, at least whether they're out of the ground, but at least approved by city council to really maybe increase the density in that downtown core. And I'm not sure if that's what you guys have seen or, or if you, you can comment on that. Well, certainly, yeah. Like where they're calling it the ice district and it's where the new arena right, is. Yeah, of course. And then it spills out down 104th and it's just a really vibrant place. Even, you know, I think I was there and it was minus 40 and it still felt vibrant. And there's, there's people out, you know, having drinks and enjoying the restaurants. There's a lot of new condos of people living right downtown. The old airport site's being redeveloped, which is just immediately north of downtown. 
And yeah, so Edmonton's has, you know, that urban feel that's really exciting. It's been really interesting to watch how that new downtown, when there was first, when I first went there, just a few condos, and now there's a lot more condos. Mm-hmm. There's, I said, that, that uh, Ice District, the new hockey arena. What a catalyst that's been for changing that space. Yeah, curious, the tale of two cities, right? You're, you're, Calgary's doing well, but the downtown core is really struggling. And Edmonton's also doing well, but that's a resulting in sort of a strengthening and a growth of the downtown core. Yeah, although the downtown, it's more on the residential and retail hotel side. Sure. You know, Edmonton's still got a ways to go on absorbing empty office space. There's a lot of parking lots. I mean, I noticed that being from Toronto, you know, there are no more parking lots in the downtown core, but in Edmonton, there's there's still quite a few of, of a potential development sites that I guess still don't make a lot of sense from a from somebody like GWL Realty Advisors. Yeah. Well, we yeah we have a development site in the brewery district for multi-res so for rental in Edmonton, and we're you know working through the process to start construction there uh, in the future. So yeah, so we like that. Is that, that an stretch. office? No, it'll be apartment. Apartments. Yeah. Right. yeah. And I've always heard that uh, Edmonton also has the backbone of government office space helping with the absorption, helping with uh, stabilize it as compared to Calgary, where they are subject more to the whims of uh, the price of a barrel of oil. Yeah. And so certainly the having a government sector just adds some extra stability and including in, you know, including in housing and rental markets and and then to the restaurant and retail sector. So it's a good economic driver to have government. I mean, actually, as a percentage of uh, employees in of employment in the Edmonton area, it's actually not nearly as high as it used to be. So it's kind of diminished a little bit as what's driving that economy, which is probably a good thing. Oh, definitely. It just shows, it shows. You that that's a, a result of the, just the effort to diversify the economy. I think it's partly just some other areas have grown. And, you know, but another thing that Edmonton's had, you know, is, is education. There's a lot of, there's the University of Alberta, which is obviously huge. They've got medical, a lot of health sciences. That, and there's also some colleges around there that Edmonton's always been a pretty good hub for education, which again is is helpful for creating some vibrancy because you've got that student population, mm-hmm. especially in that core, the area immediately sort of west oh, of the, the city, ice district, yeah. Of yeah. west of downtown, where there's just a lot of uh, housing that's had you know older rental that's got students, but then they help animate the street and and provide you know that, that yeah the, the general general economic growth that you need yeah and fairly recession proof. Yeah, absolutely. Like to spend money on, you know, entertainment and food and hanging yeah. out with their friends. Yeah. And just create life on the street. And then just makes everyone else want to be out there too. Right. Even if they're not spending lots of money, then other people may come out and spend money. So that's good. And as further evidence that Edmonton is doing well, and this is purely a rumor, but we are at the time of this recording a few weeks away from the Edmonton Real Estate Forum. And apparently for this year, as compared to the last few a lot more out-of-towners are headed to the Edmonton Forum this year, which would perhaps signify an interest in the market from other provinces. Is there anything you've seen that would support that, that Edmonton started to attract more out-of-province interest? You know, what what some of my colleagues have been saying is that it's become so pricey to buy some things in other parts of the country, particularly Vancouver, Victoria, that there's been a lot more interest just of some of the private you know, medium-sized private investors mm-hmm. in, in Alberta generally and what they can get in Alberta for their money in terms of maybe a slightly higher yield. And they feel like the risk-adjusted, It's it, it may be worth it. So I think there's probably a lot of people interested in understanding this market for what opportunities there may be because, you know, the cap rates or the yields are slightly higher. And there may be some also just a few more opportunities to find some product. And so I think that's that's probably 
a big part of it. And I, I think also it's just perception, right? Like, the, like this conversation is kind of entailed. The, the the economy is not in a dire situation anymore. Maybe it ever was, but at least the 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 narrative was that you know it's a no fly zone for a lot of reasons and a lot of asset classes. And I think there's a lot of smart money out there saying, okay, wait a minute, now's the time to get in there because in 20 years when I want to still own this building, it's going to be a great investment. Yeah, I think the, the the challenge for Alberta is it's always been very much dominated by the downtown Calgary office, which is actually a lot of value. I mean, there's, you know, billions worth of real sure, estate yeah. in that area. Yeah. And when that struggles, it pulls down the overall performance of if you're grouping all of your Alberta assets together, it pulls down the overall performance. And so therefore everything gets grouped together. But as we're saying, you know, that over through this downturn, through the previous downturn, uh, the other asset classes held up reasonably well. So now I think it's just people, more investors are recognizing that, right. you know, Calgary office, they may still want to tread carefully, but other, there's other opportunities in Alberta. So it sounds like mostly good news. Yeah, well, certainly there's definitely some challenges in the energy sector, and we probably shouldn't talk about Alberta without talking about those. And, you know, one's in the price of oil. And, you know, people who probably live outside of Alberta are probably thinking as we're recording this, but, you know, WTI is up to something like $68. Why is that not good news? And, you know, Alberta oil doesn't trade as WTI, which is West Texas Intermediate. It trades, you know, at different prices, typically benchmarked off what's called Western Canadian Select, which is a heavy crude blend. Mm -hmm. And the Western Canadian Select, how they, they measure is it trades at a discount to WTI. And that discount since the start of this year has just grown dramatically. So I think it typically it's been around $15. And it's, I believe today it was at 28. Wow. And so what they're getting for their oil is substantially not less. substantially less. So that's, um, you know, obviously not good news. And one of the reasons that they're getting less is pipeline capacity. There's been some problems in a couple of the pipelines mm -hmm. and, and uh, to get the oil out. And, you know, maybe that helps also explain some of the sudden, the urgency and the tension with British Columbia over expanding the Trans Mountain Pipeline because Alberta continues to produce more oil. So you hear about this downturn, but once, once projects are in production, the marginal cost isn't that high to just keep producing the oil. So even through all of this, there's more oil being produced today than there was five years ago mm -hmm. in Alberta, but they're running, it's running out of capacity to get it out of the market. The U.S. is producing more oil, so that's becoming a bit of a saturated market as well. And so it's creating some challenges. It's downward pressure on the price. It's, yeah. it's downward pressure on, on the price for sure. And then that's where there's going to be more economic challenges is that that's still a really important revenue source is all that oil. Like we can't forget about how important that is to this economy. And there's in a bit of a challenge right now for how's it going to get out? I mean, some of it may get out on, on rail but that's not, uh, that's much more expensive. So it, you need a $20 differential from what I understand to make rail viable. Right. So that's, that's one side of it. And so it's interesting that the energy companies are, have really sharpened their pencils and cut their costs. So if you think about it, well, we're still producing more oil and yet they're using a fraction of the people to do this. Now, a lot of people were involved in expansion and there's a lot mm -hmm. of this expansion going on, but just like a lot of other companies, they're using technology, they're using you know, less space per person, but they're using technologies. So one person I, I spoke to is in the industry as a, was saying that 
where you used to need four geologists, today you need one because he or she has a computer and GIS and satellite images, and you don't need as many of them. Petrochemical engineers, somewhat similar. You don't need as many people because they've got more technologies, and I suspect it's just across all so their positions. Curiously, this, the, the downturn, when it ends and, and the price of oil does come back up, if ever, this might have been a good thing for the oil industry because they've, they've learned a way to cut their costs at a, at a, at a greater pace than had this ever not occurred. And that's what's happened every other cycle is they've, they've figured out how to cut costs. And then when things have come back, they've been that much more profitable. That stronger, yeah. I think this time there's been mergers and acquisitions. There's been a lot of companies just selling out, foreign companies selling out of the Canadian oil sands. So what happens next? I think it's a much, yeah, it's a much leaner industry. And many of the companies are under different management as well. So, you know, maybe the type of CE person who's become CEO is maybe someone who's come up from the MBA school and they're they're much more focused on costs and you know, and balancing that out as opposed to people, there were some CEOs that I think like the idea of a really fancy trophy office building right? and trophy yeah, yeah, space. Yeah. And I think, well, there was a margin they were focused on as long as they hit that margin, it didn't matter how much they spent, right? Yeah. I, I yeah. think that's probably a fair statement. And, that, and that's having an effect also, of course, on, on demand for office space because the energy companies were using a lot more space per person than a typical company in Canada. And high in space. Yeah. Well, and I think it was at some point, it was around 300 square feet per person was their metric. And I think in, you know, in Toronto, by the time they were doing that, I think it was Toronto was under 200. Right. So, so not so, following the trends. Yeah. Whereas yeah. now I, I, they are more likely to be following the trends, maybe not completely to the, the agile 100 square feet per person workplace, but yeah, they're, sure. they're certainly not needing as big a, of spaces as they used to. So it's you know, some important things to, to think about. So it sounds like this story is probably not done. Uh, in a year's time, we'd probably be talking about it and have an entirely different conversation. But we've actually, Aaron and I have wanted to do this topic for a long time. So we do thank you for coming on to kind of shed a lot of light into to what's going on there. On a related topic, we'd like to ask our guests the question, if they had to invest their personal money, so this is not GW or real estate, or realty advisors, this is your bank account. If you were to invest your money into one asset class in one city, what would it be right now and why? B or C class office space. <laughs> <laughs> No, prob- probably not B or C class office space, although uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> one market that's intrigued me that, that hasn't worked for institutional investing, or at least when I've looked at it, but personally has intrigued me is Hamilton, Ontario. And what's really neat about it is it's a, it's a city with a lot of heritage, with a lot of character, obviously struggled a bit with the end of the, the steel industry. But the downtown just has these neat old brick buildings. And I think I would try to buy something in that in that area. For context, Wendy is from Vancouver. So this, this is not, she was born and raised in Hamilton. And she's promoting her back, her hometown. Like this is absolute observational you know, comment, yeah. right? Yeah, no, this is. And um, what I like about it also, obviously, it's a go train ride away from Toronto, but it's not Toronto. And I could just see that becoming an area of maybe more cultural and arts or, but somehow spins off on the Toronto energy, but isn't Toronto. It still has an urban vibe too, right? Because that downtown yeah. is fairly established, right? Yeah. And I think there's some pockets of it, at least I haven't been there for a few years, but the, the last time I was there, they just were pretty run down and, you it's, know, even, it's, even it's revitalizing, you know, and, and the, the word gentrification gets thrown around too much in our industry, but it certainly is gentrifying. Yeah. And so maybe I'd be too late. I think my money's too late, but, Probably, it's one, it, yeah. but this is an idea I've, I've actually had for a while. You should have acted on I it. I should have acted <laughs> on it. Yeah. 
Well, see, a single family residential has definitely skyrocketed the last couple of years. So if that had been your your asset class, you would have done very well over yeah. the last. Uh, well, I think we we've got a couple of condo inventory projects where the rents, the per square foot purchase is sort of in that six fifty to seven hundred. So it's really creeping up there. And and I'm I've seen rental apartment sales in that two fifty to three hundred per unit. So all of a sudden, it's no longer inexpensive. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, no, I Wendy. Think, yeah, I know. I, I I think I'm too late on it. When I first saw it, I think in two thousand six, I should have bought something. But there was, yeah. great timing. but oh, actually, man, but yeah. actually, yeah. Well, even in Toronto here, I remember I was here for something in like probably 2004, and just seeing for sale signs over just sort of near the U of T, between the U of T and Toronto, and looking at the prices compared to the equivalent thing in Vancouver of like a third. And I thought this has got to take off. Like this, this is gonna quadruple or yeah. more in price and in it, a few years did. and I'm sure it did uh, you know not having a spare like but I think they were for some like semi I think they were only wanting like 200,000 for it oh, like, wow. yeah, yeah. I think he got, that might be a yeah. good buy it's now worth 2 million dollars probably yeah. exactly that would have been a good buy <laughs> so anyway, hindsight's yeah. always 2020 yeah. eh yeah. darn it Great. Well, thanks very much, Wendy. That was wonderful. Really appreciate you coming on. And, and as Adam said, I, I think we'll have you back and, and touch on these topics again because the, the story is not over. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm happy to come back. Good. If for anybody that uh, just listened to this episode, remember there is part one. It'll be in the show notes. It's also very interesting. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.